Good evening, Fox. How are you doing? Good evening, Jimmy. I'm fine. How we are, are you? I'm great. We are here to share an episode from season one. Yes, from the early days. I wanted to do something to celebrate and uplift the local Birmingham theater community because it has been a tough year for them with not being able to really do their shows. And I love live theater so much. And we have such a thriving strong community of of actors and directors and even writers and all types of really great creative theatrical people. So I did this interview with Jonathan Sweat last February. I believe so, yes. He was directing Small Mouth Sounds. Which we enjoyed. It was a great play, and we're going to share that again. You did a little remastering. Our little retouching, I would say. This was... I did not realize how early on this was. I just did a few technical things, just some plugins that I probably was not aware of when I first started working with, and hopefully it's a little bit cleaner. I th- I mean, it was already a wonderful interview, but this meets my, you know, I have high expectations You're talking about technical things. Technical not things. Not content. Right. I'm, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm a hard boy on myself, that's all. I know, it's, but you have gotten, you get better and better as, as, as the podcasts go on, especially since you've been working on your own podcast. That's true. Doing that's a lot true. more difficult technical things with that. Finding little creative ways to expand my horizons, yes. Yeah. The other thing I like about this episode and sharing it now in season two is that it still has the theme song from season one. Are we keeping that? We are keeping that in there, yes. I loved that. It was the actual song, Bright in the Corner Where You Are, played on the piano by, I can't remember his name, but we did get his permission to play it. It's a lovely little ditty on the piano, and it brings up nostalgia from when we were first trying to figure out how to organize around music. Yeah, and you know, in fact, for season three, I know that I'll have a different theme song, and I'll have a new, I'll have new artwork for the podcast cover art. Yes, yeah, and I'm going to use, hopefully, if she's available, the woman who did your podcast artwork. Oh, uh, I think her name's Alita Blake. Yes, she did wonderful work for me, and I'll recommend her over to you. Yes, yeah, I can't wait to. So I'm going to spend. We have, I think, after this episode, we have three more episodes. The final episode of every season is always you and me. Well, you say every. That's the intention. Well, the intention will be for every season for us to do sort of a retrospective review of, you know, what we what the season was about and things like that. But between now and then, there will be two new episodes with new guests. And I'm working on that. I'm very glad for it. I was going to try to get on a couple of people from Amazon who work in the Bessemer Amazon plant is you call it a plant what yes, is it the uh the, it, we can call it a plant yes i've seen that language used i wanted to get them on but it, it didn't work out this this is a tough gig sometimes getting people to be on your podcast well they've got a national spotlight on them at this point and for anyone who's listening who may or may not be aware vote uh, vote union yes if you're anywhere involved within the amazon workforce and if you know someone who is by all means encourage them and support them to do the same I'm looking forward to the creative space after the season two ends, mm-hmm. which will be early May. Mm-hmm. I'm shutting down my social media. I'm not working on the, you know, I'm, I, everything's going to go down and I'm going into creative mode. And I want to try to come up with some not only ideas for the podcast and something new and exciting for season three, but other artistic endeavors that I'm 
trying to work on. Sure, sure. And hopefully, maybe I can even, you know, do some voiceover work on your podcast. Absolutely. Um, A little bit of an update on that. It's still not to a point where it's out yet, but... I had a nice recording session where I got a lot of friends for an episode about the Legion of Superheroes. It required a lot of teenage to 20-something voices, so I got about four people to record for me in about two hours. It was it was a great time. That's really exciting. I can't wait to hear that. Mm-hmm. I just drove back today, everybody, 11 hours, well, really, it was about 12 or 13 hours. I drove back from Washington, D.C. I went up to visit my friend Eric over my spring break. We We were both vaccinated. We didn't go out and do crazy things. I was basically at his his apartment the whole time. But we had a great time. But while I was there, I kept seeing those signs and hearing all the talk about the D.C. statehood movement. Yes. And I was really curious what you think about Because you grew up in that area, Fox. I did. I did. What do you think about that? So I realized that I come off in these introductions as being quite conscientious and maybe more political than I might initially let on, but I was not very involved in national or even local politics when I was living in D.C. I left D.C. at the age of 17, having grown up there from birth. So I was aware that statehood was a, I think the word is perennial issue, a reoccurring issue. There were bumper stickers. I didn't know the full extent of it. The more I've looked into it over the years, the more it makes sense to me that, yes, absolutely, they they have representation in a non-voting capacity. They should absolutely have a voting capacity within the national government. I agree, and I think that it's really disappointing to see Republicans say that this is somehow the Democrats trying to make a political move. The point is, no matter who they're going to vote, who they're, what their representation is going to be, or how they're going to vote, or whatever, you shouldn't be denying people the right to have representation. And then it spills over for me also into a lot of the stuff that's going on with voter suppression. It's similar to me in a way. It is a multifaceted issue at that point. We're definitely seeing, because D.C. is not the only is not the only place under U.S. jurisdiction There's also that is lacking in, in voter representation. There's Puerto Rico and Guam and American Samoa, and all of those have different situations where they may not necessarily want that representation. There is a bit more desire, but in D.C.'s case, there's absolutely, there's absolutely a ground support there, is my understanding. Yeah. Well, I didn't mean to swerve into politics there and throw you off, but I did have a good time last week. And did a lot of fun things. We went over to Theodore Roosevelt Island because that was outside and I'd never been there. It's really cute over there. I think it would be prettier if this, if it, everything was blooming and spring was in full blossom. The cherry blossoms were not in bloom while I was there. What did you do all week? Did you anything exciting happen to you while I was gone? I just had a nice contemplative time. Uh, I reconnected with some friends. It was nice. Mostly over the phone, but... Um... Dragula. I watched a fair bit of the second season of Dragula, which was very fun. I, I've been putting that off for a long time. That needs context, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> for people who are familiar with RuPaul's Drag Race, or have at least heard of it by this point, that's a reality show competition where drag queens compete to win a title and what's essentially a pageant, a televised pageant. Dragula is sort of... It frames itself as a countermeasure to that. It's a much smaller production organized by a group called the Boulet Brothers, as opposed to RuPaul. And they focus on 
more of a horror aesthetic. It's it's Dracula. It's dark. It's spooky. They take a lot of inspiration from horror films. And the biggest difference, to give you an idea of aesthetic difference, where Drag Race has a lip sync for your life at to figure out who stays and who goes when from the bottom two or three. Dragula has an extermination, which if you've ever if you remember Fear Factor from the early 2000s, it's basically that. There's yeah. there's needles and foods and things. Well, that sounds really cool. One of the things that I watched while I was at Eric's was the show on what is now Paramount Plus. Mm-hmm. It's a Mark Cherry show called Why Women Kill. Oh, yes. Looks like it's going to be an anthology series with new actors and storylines every season. Mark Cherry, he did he get a start with Desperate Housewives, or was that just what he was best known for? I think that's maybe was his first major start. I'd have to look into it. Didn't he also work in some capacity on... I don't know. Anyway, it, it's a really cool show, and I loved Lucy Liu, and it was just really great. And the, I liked the storyline she had with her husband, mm-hmm. who turns out to be gay. I'm not giving away too much by saying that, but I think their storyline was probably my favorite. Good. That woman who was in um, Once Upon a Time that played Snow White, I think. Oh, yes, yes. I remember her face. I never watched it, but I know her face. She's in it, and she's so wonderful. She's so talented. But this play that Jonathan Sweat directed called Small Mouth Sounds was all about a group of people who go to a pri- to a silent retreat. Do you remember? Yes. And... They're there to improve themselves, to become better people. It's a really good play. I wonder, you know, you and I have been through a lot (laughs) this year. We survived a fire. Fires, career changes, yes. Career changes. I've had a tooth extracted. Your poor tooth. Waiting for an implant. Mm -hmm. I wonder if there's anything that you feel you have learned over the last several months about yourself that you didn't know before. I have definitely been reaching out more in a social capacity. I recently had a bit of a retreat with some friends who we had all gotten vaccinated. I knew them from undergrad. They all had government or industry jobs that helped get them access to the vaccine, and we got together. And we've been talking over a over a private group chat app ever since, and it has done a lot for me in my in terms of my outlook and demeanor and perspective and yeah between that and similar experiences i'm just kind of realizing that there's a comedian called bo burnham who finished at least one set on a netflix special talking about how this generation needs to perform and needs to be seen and he frames it as this really twisted thing and i think that has stuck with me in a very negative way And I don't know how right he is. I think me reaching out to these people and sharing things with them, even if there is a performance aspect, and there can be discussions of authenticity whatsoever, but I think that is good and healthy for me, and I need more of that in my life. Well, that's great. Mm -hmm. I've seen you on that app. It looks fun. Yes, yes. Uh, Not sponsored, but Marco Polo. It's basically TikTok for private group messaging. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I had a lot of time to think on my way back today. I think one of the things that I've learned is just really how to kind of roll with things. (laughs) You know, a lot has happened. But the, the it's interesting that sometimes it can be something that seems kind of small, like losing my tooth and going through that pain and all that stuff with the dentist and all that. 
I had never been sedated as an adult, seriously. And so I got a little freaked out about that. You were very nervous going into it. It was not a big deal once I had done it. But I think, I don't know, there's something going on with me right now that I don't quite understand. I've talked about it a lot on the podcast. It This doesn't have to do with me trying to find a new career or do bigger and better things or anything like that. There's just something that, like, inside myself that I, I don't know if it's that I want to meditate more or try to hook into some sort of spirituality or there's something that I, that I feel like I need an inner peace or something, but I don't know what it is. We're constantly searching, you know, I'm never going to be a finished product. Oh God, help me if I'm ever a product. That's awful. Who was that man who sang about how we still haven't found what we're looking That's for? That's you too. <laughs> you <laughs> that too. That was Bono. Okay. okay. Yeah, we still haven't found what we're looking for, guys. But Jonathan Sweat did a fantastic job uh, directing Small Mouth Sounds. And now I would like to share that interview with you that has been remastered by Fox Williams, the fabulous podcast editor. Yours for the right price if you have a podcast. All right. Enjoy the show, everybody. Right now I'm going to play two tempos of an old, old hymn. I don't know if I've ever played it on Memory Lane before. It's an oldie but a goodie, simply entitled Bright in the Corner, Where You Are. So enjoy. another episode of where you are and we are here in the home the lovely home of jonathan sweat is that right that's right i was looking at your name earlier and i was like what if it's sweet and i've been saying it wrong all these times but it's sweat it is sweat somebody asked me on facebook recently like on a post and i was like well how do you describe so finally i came up it rhymes with jet okay so we're here with jonathan sweat who I've known, sort of, we're not like best friends or anything, but I've known you for a long time, and, I, and now I just realized I was afraid about pronouncing your name. But Jonathan is the director of the latest production of Theater Downtown. The play is called Small Mouth Sounds. It's written by Beth Wall? Bess Wall. Bess Wall, yeah. I read it because I was going to go see it, and it sold out. I wanted to see it before I talked to you. Yeah. I was like, I can't talk to the director without having some kind of knowledge of the play, so I read it, uh, which is challenging because I know that there's a lot of stuff that happens in well, the play that's not related to dialogue. Yeah, the script is mostly stage direction. Right. So that was interesting. <laughs> so I thought I would start out by asking you, Jonathan, first of all, thank you for letting us come into your home. Oh, well, thank you for coming. And I won't reveal the address. <laughs> but what? How? if you had to describe the play to people who've never read it or seen it, what, how would you describe it? It's... There's a lot of awkward humor. It's a very emotional play. And it's a very relatable play. You know, it's about six people who go to a silent retreat. So they know beforehand that, you know, they're going to get there and they're not going to be able to speak. So it's not like a surprise on them or anything. But everybody there is going through some kind of turmoil in their life. Like there's someone who is grieving loss of their young son. There is... Uh, woman who's used to being in, in total control of her life and all of a sudden she's dying of cancer. There's a girl who 
was a child actress and has been, you know, is used to being adored and has her whole self-esteem kind of built on the attention that she gets. And she has a bad habit of going after the wrong guys and she's going through a pretty traumatic breakup. So all these people are going through, you know, these kind of horrible events, but it's things that we all go through. It's things that, you know, we've all dealt with these things at some point in our lives. And all of a sudden there's somebody dealing with all of these things and they're all in a room together or they're all in the woods together. And they have to figure out how to relate to one another and how to deal with their feelings that they've come here to confront without speaking. Without speaking. And that's speaking. the part that is so compelling to me. <laughs> I am going to see the play. I can't wait to see it. What drew you to the play? Did they ask you to do the play or did you did you seek this one out? You know, a couple of years ago, I directed a short play, um, which, you know, well, because we worked on the same one. And ever since then, I I was really interested in trying to tackle a full length. And um, I started reading different scripts. And I first read this script almost two years ago. It was shortly after, shortly after the short play. And I was really, I, I don't know, there was something about it I was really drawn to. I think it kind of was the challenge of how people have to, you know, deal with things without speaking. And, um... I think people have always told me that I'm a pretty quiet person. Jonathan, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was just <laughs> thinking when you said that, I wanted to ask you later that you you come across as a very introverted, quiet person. And yeah. I wonder if that was part of the appeal for you. But go ahead. I'm well, sorry. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I actually write about that a little bit in the, um, in the program. But yeah, it, it just all felt very relatable to me because we all have those times when you feel something so intensely, but there just aren't the words to say it. There just aren't words that really fit the emotion that you're feeling. And at the same time, you know, there are times where there's something that you want to say extremely badly, but because of the circumstances you're in, you can't or you shouldn't. And I just thought this would be such an interesting way to get those ideas out on the stage and to see how other people would react in the same situations. Oh, it's so fascinating because, you know, I'm the kind of person who will probably, even though I'm not expressing what I want to be, want everybody to understand, I will keep running at the mouth trying. <laughs> and I thought as I was reading the the play, you know, I've thought about trying some quiet spiritual retreat and I think, I think I would probably go crazy. <laughs> I don't know, but uh, that's one of the, I think there's some deep fundamental questions about existence that come up in this play just from reading the script i'm sure it's even more powerful when you see the play yeah yeah there's some little things we had from personal experiences and uh there's so much you can get like it even though the play has very little dialogue written in it for certain characters it's still really well written in how it describes the situation that they're in but at the same time we did make some little tweaks just to kind of personalize things a little bit did any of you go to an actual uh quiet retreat, whatever they're called, their spiritual retreat where you have to be quiet. quiet. No, no, none of us were that brave, really. But um, I don't blame that you. could have been interesting. That could have been a, a neat cast field trip. I did have some experiences where a few years ago um, I took a meditation class and I thought that would be a really great way to kind of, well, to learn how to live in the moment more, um, you know, especially everybody's, your brain is so trained with your phone and you know, social media and everything to just always be thinking about, I don't know, you kind of need input or entertainment or every second. 
And I was trying to find ways to untrain my brain from that, to be able to really relax and not have to worry about all these things, but be able to sit and focus and breathe absolutely for you know more than a few seconds at a time. And it was really hard. <laughs> and I thought, okay, if I keep this up, if I practice this, this will be something that could be really beneficial. And I didn't do so well at it. And um, there are some elements in the in the production that were inspired by by that. There's a part where Beth's character has um, just dealt with what she feels is a pretty big betrayal, and in not knowing how to deal with the aftermath of that, the emotion she feels, she sits down and she tries to meditate, and she tries it for a very long time, and in the end. She fails. She just couldn't do it. Yeah. I think that, again, even though I haven't seen it, the, the script does convey a lot of the sort of thematic elements. And I think that one of the powerful things about what the playwright is doing here is that she shows the frailty of our good intentions when we are trying to be spiritually or we're trying to we're trying to grow spiritually or we're trying to get to those calm places or we're trying to meditate or we're trying yeah. to be like more perfect but we're just humans when we're doing it. And those people at this silent <laughs> retreat are not doing the greatest job. I mean, they're yeah. whispering to each other, <laughs> looking at their phones under their cover, or at least in the script, they're looking at their phones under the cover, things like that. Yeah. So I think one of the most fascinating parts of that is that there's a couple that goes, um, Joan and Judy, and they have sort of something exposed while they're there and they have to figure out, okay, now we're in a fight. But we can't speak. We can't speak. So, and then there's that that sort of that dedication that people have to the rules. Like, we're not going to break these rules, even though we're having this major fight. But we're still obeying these rules. I think that's very interesting. <laughs> yeah. Theater Downtown has been staging shows since 2006, right here in Birmingham, Alabama. We have so many wonderful theater companies in Birmingham. TNT. Birmingham Black Repertory Theater Company, Birmingham Festival Theater Company, Red Mountain, Encore, Virginia Sanford, just to name a few off the top of my head. And these companies, together with others, keep theater alive and well here in the Magic City. Theater Downtown focuses on the cutting edge, the hilarious, the provocative, the local, and often, as in its current production, Bess Wall's Small Mouth Sounds, the Profound. Over the years, Theater Downtown has staged Dragula the Musical, Alice in Slasherland, Five Lesbians Eating a Quiche, Boeing Boeing, one of my favorites. That was such a great show. All in the Timing, uh, Still Magnolias, The Explorers Club, so funny. And that one starred Jonathan Sweat. He was really good in that show. Debbie Does Dallas the Musical, The Birds, The Miss Firecracker Contest, Bad Sea, where Brooke Wood just chewed up that scenery. Um, Southern Baptist Sissies, that was a really touching and funny show written by Del Shores, and so many more. After 10 years at its former location, Theater Downtown is currently on the lookout for a new home, but its current production has found a haven at Edgewood Dance on the first floor of Brookwood Village. Small Mouth Sounds, directed by Jonathan Sweat, will run one more weekend from February the 6th through February the 8th there at Edgewood Dance. But get your tickets now 
because the show sold out in its first two weeks. You can get your tickets at theaterdowntown.org. You can go to uh, Facebook and click on the link there. Uh, but get your tickets. And now back to Jonathan. Who is the cast? Or who, who, and how did you choose them? Well, uh, we had auditions. Um, I, you know, I, I like to plan ahead. So we, we had the first round of auditions last summer. And then um, it... Good grief. Last summer? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Well, we did kind of a group audition with some of the other shows for um, Clown Bar at Theater Downtown and um, Mr. Burns that Alex Hunt mm-hmm. just directed yeah. the previous show. Um, so we had the first round of auditions for those three together. And then later on, I had the callbacks and got it got it all settled. But yeah, I had this amazing group of people audition. And you know, with it being my first time to direct a full-length show, I didn't know if anybody wanted to kind of take a risk on somebody who's sort of a new director and I was really really excited by the interest the people that came and the the people that came and showed up for it so yeah we have um Kathleen Jensen who you know people know from all of her years and all the shows she's done at TNT she's done several like Bell Shore shows and she's directed Uh, and you know she's done a lot of really great work there's Beth Kitchen who also kind of Bit of a Birmingham celebrity. Right. <laughs> uh, we have Chuck Duck, also legendary, and Kelsey Crawford, uh, Tim Seal, uh, David Seal's brother. Oh, okay. And um, uh, Kevin Van Heining, who is just brilliantly funny, and Susie Wood. Okay. Yeah, it's a great, great cast. So, I want to make sure I don't forget to ask you this. I've, I've made this list. This is the first time I've made a list of questions. I was a little <laughs> nervous. What... Before we move on to talk more about the cast and about the rehearsal process and all of that, yeah. I want to ask you one thing. What, what what do you think that you personally have learned from this process of doing this play? Both, even, either or about yourself or about yourself as a director. What has this process taught you? Well, I've learned that as a director, if you want to make your job easier cast the right people <laughs> because yeah. that's going to be most of the work right there. Battle, yeah. yeah. And I was really surprised. Like once we got everything settled, once we found our performance venue, once we found a place where we could rehearse, everything was super easy. And that really surprised me. Like I really, really enjoyed working with the actors and asking questions about who these characters were and working together, kind of make these decisions and, and I guess sort of, to collaborate on the ideas of bringing these people on the page to life. And that was really, really fun. And I, I, I really, really enjoyed that. Now, once tech week rolled around, it got very, very hard again. <laughs> yeah. But um, that's often how tech week is. Did you have, do you have like a sound, the same sound system? And you don't have the same sound system and lights because you had well, to move. Right? It's not exactly the same, but we do actually have portable lighting. This was another thing that was kind of a challenge with the design of the show because I didn't know exactly what kind of tech we would have available up until about a week before we moved into the final performance space. Let me take a moment here for people who don't know because I, yeah. I don't think we've said it here on the podcast. You, you guys, theater downtown had to move out of their space that they've been in for like ten years, right? Right, the antique store, and. This happened ju- just as you were planning your show, and you didn't know where you were going to be doing it. So finally, you found a you found a place at uh, is it Ed- Edgewood? What is it? Yeah, it's called Edgewood Dance. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, a dance company that's in Brookwood Village, mm-hmm. and they do dance performances, they do dance classes, they do yoga classes, and 
it worked out really well because this, first of all, the space is beautiful. This room that we're in there is exactly the set that we would need for this show. Like it, it fits the, you know, like where they would have the classrooms of this spiritual retreat right? or this silent retreat perfectly. Yeah. So. So you back to tech week, you said you yeah. didn't know exactly what kind of situation you were getting into. <laughs> well, yeah, well, it was hard to, like, I didn't know what kind of lights we would have. Like I, I tried to think about, okay, bare minimum, what can we do? At the very least, we can have lights up and lights down because, you know, this place has light switches. <laughs> but as far as, you know, there were a lot of challenges because you have to find a way in this show. Part of it happens, part of it takes place indoors, part of it takes place outdoors. And there's some crazy stuff that happens outdoors. There is. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, they spend the night in these cabins and we have to find a way to depict that in a way that it's kind of minimal because, you know, our space is limited, but that's my aesthetic is kind of yeah. minimal anyway. So that worked out. But we also do it, have to do it in a way that it's convincing to the audience and they understand what's happening. And if you don't have any kind of light to show that, that gets a lot trickier. Right. So I was really racking my brain trying to come up with ideas about how to show that. And thankfully, it ended up where we did have um, some portable lighting rigs. So we got those put in place. They were actually brand new. They ordered them. Oh, um, wow. Uh, kind of to use in the interim until there is another permanent space. So we were the first show that gets to use them. There'll be others as different shows pop up in between now and <laughs> whenever the permanent space comes up. But um, they're actually really nice. I think we've been able to use them pretty pretty effectively. Um, you know, we have a lot of colors to use. Um, yeah, I, I think it works pretty well. I think it's pretty convincing that these people are, you know, walking through the woods at night trying to yeah. find out where they're going to stay. I was interested in asking you if there's a lot of improv that happens <clears throat> in this play, or did you tend to take the character descriptions very literally and because there are some very literal character descriptions at the front. Yes. Yeah. And she does say that I think you can take liberties with those. I just wondered how you handled that with the actors. But that is one of the best things about the script is that even though, well, I guess for each of the characters, there's a pretty in-depth description written about, you know, what they're dealing with and who this person is. I really tried to honor as much of that as possible just because I, I, I like to honor the playwright's work. Right. Probably were some things where we took took a few liberties, but for the most part, you know, we used all that information. And the, you know, the audience going to see the show, you're not going to know everything about this person's background, but it helps the actor to make decisions on how they would react to things based on you know this past that they yeah. have. Um, but there are things like you know when you have like great improv actors like Kevin Van Heining and like everybody's really really good with it. There are going to be little things that they add on their own and things that we kind of worked out together. So I've always thought it's amazing how people can make a character read without actual lines. That's why I can't <laughs> wait to see this play. One of the things, I've only directed twice, okay? I have a theater degree <clears throat> in 1999. I got it, and I didn't really do much with it and whatever. Yeah. But I directed that one short play a long time ago at Theater Downtown, and I directed a play for my college one of the things that I enjoyed about the process is when actors would make discoveries or when I would make a discovery, it was something that I just was not expecting to happen, happened. Yeah. Were, were there moments like that in this play that you can recall? You know, I think that's something that uh, Chuck and I talked about a bit. Chuck Duck um, plays a character named Jan 
Oh, he plays Jan. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Although, you know, from the audience, you know, they're not not knowing this person's background. They're not going to very, know very much about him. It's one of the more mysterious characters, and um, you kind of find out why. Yeah, I love end. that. I love yeah, that. It's, 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 it's very poignant, actually. But uh, we talked a lot about, you know, just who this person was, and he came up with a lot of really interesting ideas on why he reacted to certain things the way that he did. Uh, I think a lot of the things that he does in the show are really poetic in a way, and I think there's there's some really, really beautiful moments. And to see those happen for the first time was, there were times where people would do things at a rehearsal or where I would just gasp. Like it would be something that, just something small and new that I hadn't expected, but would have such impact that it, it would really hit me. What do you see your role as, as director? How would you define that role when you're in there, that space with those actors? I mean, I know there's more than just the rehearsal and the, <laughs> yeah. but when you're in that space with the actors, what is your role, do you think, as a director? You know, I kind of approached it as being sort of an organizer. Like, um, not just of, you know, all the things you have to line up in the background, but sort of an organizer of ideas and um, to try to help pull things out of people. Like, a lot of times you could see people moving in the right direction or in a direction that I really liked with their ideas about a character. But um, there were also times where I would encourage people then, you know, to go further in that direction um, in order to have the most impact. I knew reading that script... I had a really, really clear idea of how I wanted it to look and how I wanted things to go and sort of the overall tone. I think it was just being kind of a keeper of that tone to help people maintain that consistency and make sure we didn't step out of that and make sure that our comedy really fit into that in the same place that our emotionality was. You know, it, it's great if you have a really funny bit, but if it doesn't really fit in with the rest of the tone of the show, then you know, all of a sudden it becomes yeah. something completely different. I love that, the keeper of the tone. Yeah, it's really nice. I like that. What was that show that you did? This was one of the first shows I saw you in with Mel Christian directing. It was the British... Was it Explorers Club? Yes, Explorers Club. That was so... You were so good in that. And I <laughs> thought you. Mel did such a great job oh, yeah. directing Absolutely. that. I think she's one of our you know really strong directors in town. Yeah, I uh, love to work with Mel. I've done three shows with her now. What else did you do with her? Uh... I did uh, Picasso at the Le Pan Agile, the um, Steve Martin play. That's right. Um, and uh, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. That's right. You've done a lot of theater in town. I have, I have, yeah. When did you start? I, I'm going to admit that I cheated a little bit and found some article for, about you from 2014. <laughs> oh, the, the Dracula one? Yes. Yeah. But what, what, what shows have you done? How long have you been in theater in, in, in Birmingham? Uh, it's been almost 10 years now. You know, it's kind of funny, this hit me earlier today, but right after I did my very first play, which was um, Night of the Living Dead, oh, wow. I, played a, I played a zombie. I got, <laughs> I got beaten to death with a tire iron by Sylvester oh, Lowe. Fun. Oh, fun. Yeah, it was, it was an honor. An honor. <laughs> but um, right after that, I, I did, um, a friend of mine had a podcast at the time, and he interviewed me for it. So it's kind of fitting now that after I directed my first show. Oh, cool. That's <laughs> kind great. of comes back full, full circle, yeah. I have to That's say cool. this really quick before you go on. Your cute little dog, Chip, <laughs> is just sitting back there behind you looking so adorable. A little rescue who is very shy, so we're going to leave him alone, but he's so cute. <laughs> yeah, he's, he definitely stays pretty glued to me. <laughs> so you so you started out as a zombie. Yeah. And now you're directing. Yeah. What have been some of your favorite shows that you've been in? Oh, gosh. Uh, well, definitely The Explorers Club. You know, that was... 
that was at a time where I had it had been a pretty good while. It went I went almost a year without doing a show, wow. and I came back into that, and I had a lot of anxiety about it because you know when you take a break, you kind of wonder like uh, I don't know do I do I still have the nerve for this because it, it's a lot like getting up on stage, especially for introverted people. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot, you know. It takes a lot out of you. As nervous as I was, I went back and it was so much fun. Like that show was fun start to finish. Like Mel was great. The whole cast was great. We just had an amazing time. It was so much. I wish you had seen it. It was so much fun to watch. And you're so good on stage. You have a very, in, you're, I always have thought of your acting as this very sort of intelligent. There's, there's an intelligence and a calm about you when you're acting, but you're also very funny. <laughs> um, there's just something very clear about it. When you're on stage, I wonder what kind of work. I noticed that when in my little snooping around on the internet, that you 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 don't have a theater background from like when you were a kid, right? No, you didn't go to school for theater. No. So how have you trained? Just on you tra- you trained while you were doing it. Uh, well, kind of, yeah. I did take um, like in high school. I took like a year of drama. I was in like this high school play one year, um, but we had our, we didn't have a good drama program. Like even my senior year, like the teacher, the drama teacher was out. So they didn't even do any productions or anything because yeah. she had like an illness or something. But I really liked it and I wanted to do more. There just wasn't any opportunity for it. And then after high school, um, you know, I didn't go to college immediately. I I just, I really wanted to be independent. So I just immediately started working a full-time job and trying to, you know, build my own life, I guess, just get away from my hometown a little bit. But I always wanted that creative outlet. Like that was something that was definitely missing from my life and I didn't know that any of this theater scene was here for the longest time but about 10 years ago I went to see I went to theater downtown to see Equus oh wow yeah remember J.J. Mars directed that and um you know I was just in awe that this could happen in Birmingham Alabama like this was it like this wasn't edited they did the show exactly as it was meant to be performed and I just thought it was amazing and that not only was this being performed here, but the people that were in the show were also from here. And it just made me think that, wow, I wonder if I could do that. I wonder if I could have the nerve. Like, first of all, I wonder if I could ever like audition and get a role. Second of all, could I actually pull it off? Could I, could I handle it? I just couldn't stop thinking about it. And eventually I got the opportunity to, um, well, you know, I just didn't have the nerve to audition for anything either. Um, right. But eventually I got the opportunity to um, kind of go on stage in Night of the Living Dead, thanks to Billy Ray Bruton, as a zombie. And, you know, there were no, I didn't have any lines or anything in that mm-hmm. part. I just had to learn a little bit of fight choreography and get really bloody. And that was the fun part. But then after that, um, I just started going to auditions. And I, it started out really, really small. I was getting some really small roles, but I was really happy to get them. And I, there were people that I watched along the way, and I was really able to learn a lot from the directors that I worked with, the other actors that I was working with. I've just been really lucky with the people that I've been able to absorb things from. Yeah. What do you think you get from your experiences in the theater? What is it that drives you to keep doing it? Because you have a day job, right? Yeah. And... <laughs> You've got all this other thing, these other things you have to do. And theater takes up a lot of your time, especially <laughs> directing. So what is it that drives you to keep doing it? it? It really does take up a lot of time. But I don't, you do it because it's satisfying because there's, 
something important about telling these stories and how it makes you feel when you're able to be a part of that and do something that means something to somebody or makes them laugh or makes them remember a happy time or something like that. That feels, I don't know, there's a lot of power in that. And it it is the, it's all very empowering. And there's just something that makes me feel healthy about being able to get that out in a creative and productive way. Oh, yeah. One thing I think that people who aren't in the theater don't realize is the power, not only of the product that goes out, if you want to call it that, the actual performance that people see, but there's everything that goes on before that with a group of people that you become really close with. It's almost like a family. Yeah. yeah. And I used to, when in college, when I did a lot of theater in college, in the late 1900s, I was always <laughs> sad. I was always so sad when it was over because I had gotten so close to everybody in the rehearsal process. Yeah. And, but the other side of that is that it's really a beautiful experience because you're all working on this thing together. Now it can be a really bad experience sometimes, uh, but you know, that's chemistry is important. Chemistry is very important. very important. And it sounds like you got the right group of people with the good chemistry for this. Can I ask you a really horrible question? Yeah. Is there nudity in the show? There is a little bit of nudity. Is it full nudity? Uh, well, it is full, but the audience only sees it from okay. behind. So it's like, oh, what was that show? Spoiler alert. Sissies, the... Oh, I didn't oh, mean Southern to Baptist Sissies? Southern yeah. Baptist Sissies. I was like, whoa, okay. There was a good bit in that show. There yeah. was a good bit of nudity in that show. <laughs> I'm just trying to help. You know, not that you need help ticket sales, because I mean, you don't need, you don't need help yeah. selling tickets, because you've yeah. sold out every performance so far. Um, what's next for you, Jonathan Sweat? Oh gosh, I'm going to rest. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's like, I've had a great time doing this, but it does take up so much time. Yeah. And I haven't really, I haven't really uh, got my next project set just yet. I think I'm going to travel a little bit and uh, Ooh, try to enjoy having a little free time. Where do you like to travel? Well, you know, I already have a little trip to Atlanta planned, but you know, that's an easy nice. weekend trip, but um, hey, that's fun. I think I'm going to go back to New York City pretty soon. Awesome. Some good foods. Some do you shows. have, you, do you have some friends up there or do you? Is it you no, just going to get um, a hotel and enjoy the shows and everything? Yeah, I think we're going to go. We're gonna have, I don't. I don't have friends that live up there that I stay with or anything. But um, I have a group of friends that we're going to go and just try to find a you know, Airbnb place that we can just. That's great. Rule for a few days. Yeah. Okay, what shows are on Broadway right now or off Broadway that you want to see? Oh my god, I'm so terrible. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm too busy. <laughs> I'm too busy to keep up, keep up with all that. Well, I'm still dying to see the the Harry Potter show. Oh, really? Yeah, I would love to see that. Okay. Um, one of the reasons I, I wanted to do this podcast is because a lot of times, especially in our culture now, we're so obsessed with the successes of famous people or rich people or people who are not here. And there's also this degradation of the South, I think, some of it. <laughs> You know, we deserve. <laughs> yeah. But there is a lot happening all around us. There are community activists. There are, you know, theater people. There are people making music. There's just, I wanted to talk to people who were involved in things that were very creative and interesting. And you're one of those people. And Theater Downtown does, you know, all that wonderful work and has been doing it for since 2004 or six. I can't remember. 2006. Long, 2006. Yeah. What advice? So let's say that, not that I have like a huge audience, but... Yeah. What advice would you give to anyone in town or in the community who's looking to get into theater but doesn't really know how to how to do that? Look for auditions. I mean, people hate Facebook. I hate Facebook, and it's it, 
it's a pain that it's kind of one of our most valuable tools right now as far as marketing our shows and sharing information within the theater community. But, you know, people post audition notices there. They they uh, do events. So follow the different theater companies. Follow Theater Downtown. Follow Terrific New Theater, Birmingham Festival Theater. Follow them all. And when you see there's an audition posted, just go. Even if there's not a role for you, even if there's you really don't feel like you have a chance, the experience that you get from trying it is going to help you move forward to okay. where one day you will. Absolutely. That's exactly what I did. Like, I was terrified because, I, I mean, I hadn't auditioned for anything since I was in high school. That first audition I went to, like, I thought I was going to throw up <laughs> most <laughs> of the time, but I got through it. And that was, you know, that was an important step. And you started as a zombie. Absolutely. Theater Downtown has even more exciting shows coming this season. To start, The Revolutionists, a comedy, a quartet, a revolutionary dream fugue, a true story, written by Lauren Gunderson and directed by the extremely talented Catherine Champion. Oh, and hey, auditions for The Revolutionists are Sunday, February the 16th. That's Sunday, February the 16th at 5 p.m. at Birmingham Festival Theater. Another show coming up is Significant Other, written by Josh Harmon and directed by one of Birmingham's best directors, Mel Christian. Starstruck by Elaine Lee, with Susan Norfleet Lee and Dell Place, directed by Mike Cunliffe. And How I Learned to Drive by Paula Vogel, directed by the wonderful Marcus Lane. Don't forget that Small Mouth Sounds only runs one more weekend. From February the 6th through February the 8th, that's Thursday, Friday, and Saturday nights, starting at 8 p.m. You can get your tickets at theaterdowntown.org. Hey, and remember, that's theater spelled the right way. That's T-H-E-A-T-R-E, theaterdowntown.org, or look up Theater Downtown on Facebook. There's a link to order there as well. They're selling out quickly, so get your tickets now. Enjoy the rest of the interview. Here's what people I don't think realize. A young woman came to me recently who was a former student, and she lives in, in the area, and she really wants to get into theater. And I said, there's a theater family group or whatever they call it on Facebook. There's yeah. All the different theaters have. I told her all that, um, but I, th I think there's just this fear that people have to get past. But the truth of it is, if you get in there and people get to know you, and I think you need to have a good work ethic, and you have to be yeah. good. You need to be able to get along with people and that kind of thing. Yeah, building a good reputation really yeah, helps. <laughs> that helped me in college. I was, I'm was i not a great actor, and that's why I don't act. But uh, I got in every show every semester in college in small roles because I worked my ass off, you know? Being dependable goes far. Yeah. goes really far. Yeah. Um, I wish that I could figure out what this question was right here. <laughs> Who do... What do you think that says? Who do you... Udami? No, no. <laughs> Who do you admire, whether it's actors, directors, or if there are spiritual leaders, I don't know if you're a spiritual person or not, but who is it that you look up to and admire, or do you? You know, I'm really lucky to have some really creative friends, and I think those are the people that inspire me the most. Um, like, I know it's probably a more interesting answer to talk about some famous actor or some famous director or something that I really admire. But um, to me, kind of having that sense of family and sense of community, that's really what drives me a lot more than trying to 
follow along in the success of, you know, someone specific. I look at it a lot more as just an opportunity to create cool stuff with my friends. That's great. Yeah. I like that answer. It's better than, <laughs> you know, whoever, whatever celebrity you could think of. Well, Jonathan, I really, really appreciate it. I'm serious. I know that we take on this tone when we're doing a podcast. I really mean it for my, I, I really appreciate you letting us come into your home and do a podcast because you don't really know me that well, but I have a lot of respect for you. I think that you're a wonderful actor. I'm so happy for you that you're directing this show. I can't wait to see it. And I wish you nothing but the best. Thank you very much. That makes me feel good. I appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Where You Are, a podcast created by Jimmy Ellenberg and edited by Fox Williams. The introductory music was Bright in the Corner Where You Are, a song performed by Billy Pollard and created by Ina Dudley Ogden and Charles Hutchinson Gabriel. All music was used with permission. Thank you again for listening, and have a nice day, wherever you are.